This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Good evening, everybody, on this uh, very drizzly and wet day here in Reading. Uh, I hope you're all having a really good uh, Easter break so far. I've got a really exciting guest for me, uh, for you guys today to, to listen to. Uh, first of, of many sponsored shows, hopefully, we're going to be talking all about this gentleman's book who will be joining me imminently um we're not just going to talk about this but we're going to talk about reading in general as well so this we're get to that is teachers talk just radio and you are listening live tune in live at ttradio.org or to join in the conversation download the podbean app and search teachers talk radio follow the hashtag tt radio tune in talk it out with teachers talk radio Always try and do that fade out. Whenever I do an assembly, um, I always kind of look at the year sixes because we've got one of those dials on the stereos, and I, you know they're, they're playing the you know Spanish guitar music or whatever I've chosen for the kind of the intro and outro of the assembly, and they just kind of flick it, and I'm always like just just fade it down. It's just it's a lot more professional, and I can't do it on a on a professional podcast. So um, maybe I'll give them some slack after Easter holidays. Who knows? Um, hope you're all good. Uh, I uh, we've currently got a massive deluge at the moment. I wouldn't say it's quite storm weather, um, but it's definitely April showers. And I'm in the garage again, so hopefully you can't hear the rain literally slamming down onto the roof that we've got. Um, also, I don't I don't want any sympathy, but I've got a shocking cold as you can probably hear. So um, yeah, we're gonna we're gonna plug on uh, with the show business as usual. Um, delighted that I've got uh, a sponsored show today. Um, we've got a gentleman by the name of Scott Evans, who you may know as Mr. E Primary. If you follow him on Twitter and you've seen his other kind of amazing things as well, we're going to be talking all about his book, um, A Hundred Ideas for Primary Teachers, Reading for Pleasure. Um, and, and what a book it is. I've got it in my hands at the moment as we speak. Um, so we're going to be talking about that as well. And also Scott's career and generally just kind of reading in uh, the primary sphere, really, because it's a, it's a massive thing. Um, you know, it's, it's absolutely huge. And, and we talk a lot in education spheres about the power of reading and the pleasure and everything else. So it's, um, yeah, really, really excited for him to, to be here. I'm hoping I can see his face popping up on the screen. He's in the studio. Scott, are you there, sir? I am indeed. Thank you very much for having me, Ben. I'm really excited for this. Fantastic. Well, first of all, technology works, which is great. Um, regular listeners <laughs> will know that I can actually mute my mute my mic now, which I didn't know I could uh, up until about the fourth or fifth fifth show I was doing. So that's really positive. Um, and I'm I'm you know absolutely delighted to to welcome uh, Scott to to the Twilight Show with me, Ben Thomas. Um, you know to talk about his book and also other bits as well. So Scott, first of all, I know that you are calling in from uh, Wales. What's yeah. the weather like with you at the moment? Oh, like you, absolute deluge, but typical Wales, typical rain. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I guess you're on your holidays at the moment, are you? Yeah, yeah, second week of Easter holidays, so pretty relaxed at the moment. <laughs> yeah, and you haven't been hit by a lurgy or anything, no? No, fingers crossed. You know what they say, when you go off on the holidays, that's when it catches you, but no, all good so far. Good, good. Well, listen, Scott, we're going to kind of get into what you've produced. That's, that's basically what it is. It's, you know, you've yeah. made um, quite a phenomenal... Uh, piece of literature really and I've kind of had a good look through it over the last couple of weeks and it's oh, thanks so and, much. you know it's 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 absolutely brilliant so we're going to talk about that in a minute but what I like to do uh you know on my shows is kind of get get to know the person 
um, yeah. you know, get get the audience a little bit of insight into kind of you, basically your career. You know how you've ended up getting to this point. So I'm going to literally hand the hand the mic over to you, and you can tell us all about how you've got to this point in your career. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, where do I begin? Really, I suppose really my love for reading began at a sort of very young age. Um, my parents, like I say in the introduction to my book, my acknowledgements of my book, really, I owe it really all to them, my parents, my grandparents. Um, if it wasn't for them and they filled my homes with, well, books that I could all, almost dream of reading, but also they took me to libraries as well. And that's where it began really at my young age and it's been with me ever since. Um, but before becoming a primary school teacher as well, I worked as a librarian. So I almost like paid my community back in that respect for the, for the thankfulness that they gave me. Um, and I was a librarian in several local libraries. Um, and I, I found myself really as, as becoming a, a librarian as well, that when people would come into the libraries, parents, teachers, even children themselves and asking for book recommendations, nobody could really give them it. And I thought there's a gap here that needs filling. And so I took it upon myself, really, and I became the go to person in my library for recommending children's books. And I then took on things like running the summer reading challenge. And then that helped me realize that the power that literature holds really in shaping, well, not just children's lives, but everybody's. Um, and that was the beginning of my journey, really. And then fast forward a few years into my teaching career, and I almost, I almost found the same in teaching that I, I found myself in a position of sort of being a teacher, but then being a reading lead and really hoping that I could sort of promote and, and expose teachers then to the wonderful world of children's literature that's out there, really. And through my role of reading lead, I, I launched our inaugural Children's Laureate Wales in our school that I was in. And that made it onto national news, which was fantastic. And then I organized visits from amazing authors, including sort of Blue Peter Book Award winners and Waterstone Children's Book Prize winners as well. Um, but then my passion for children's literature, as I said, never faded. And so I wanted more ways and find more ways I could share my love of reading really with an even wider audience. And so I, I developed my own website and called The Reader Teacher. Um, and then that helped sort of promote reading uh, children's books on a, on a wider level. Um, I'm known for my sort of year group reading list that I've carefully curated, thanks to my librarian and teacher experience, um, but also my monthly must reads I put on there each month, which is five of my favorite books, my book match posters. And now I've got a YouTube channel as well, which showcases the, the latest children's literature really coming out each month. Um, and those who know me on Twitter as well, I also host sort of hashtag primary school book club, which is a monthly Twitter based book club chat and vote for any adult involved in primary education to read the latest children's literature. And we choose to vote from a selection of 20 books published every month. And the great thing is, is we come back at the end of each month then to discuss the book with the winning author or the illustrator involved as well in the chat. So they have that sort of dialogue and communication with teachers as well, which is fantastic. And the innovative ways that the book club has used their books in different ways in the classroom and their schools. It's been fantastic to see. And all of this then has really led me to, well, many exciting things. Um, I've written for Book Trust and Teach Primary magazine. I've been on the BBC talking about reading. Um, I've hosted events with Waterstones. I've produced resources for children's publishers, which I do a lot now of to, to help them used effectively in the classroom. And I've also been fantastically fortunate, really, to be a judge for some amazing book awards. I've spoken about the Blue Peter Book Awards, which I've been fortunate to be on the panel with, the Lollies with Michael Rosen, the Wales Book of the Year Award. And I've also got another two fantastic ones lined up this year, which is the Wheat Junior Book Awards and also the Alligator's Mouth Award, which recognises illustrated fiction as well. And I can't wait, really, to see what those have in store. So, yeah. I'm just, uh, it's been an incredible journey so far and I just can't see where it takes me next. And really the book is where it's taken me next. And, and I hope that really it's just onwards and upwards from there, really. I mean, Scott, is there anything you don't do at the moment? <laughs> <laughs> I know. That's quite a list. 
And once you get me going, you know I'm a typical Welsh person. I'll just talk for Wales. So, yeah, yeah I, I know them well. Brilliant, brilliant nation, brilliant people. You know, as we said earlier, you know, off I say off air, but through emails, my um you know my my family are from south wales so i know it very well really and and wow. you know the, the power of books and, and and particularly in some of those valley areas is 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 massive um, yeah yeah just gonna i mean there's a lot to unpick there really and i'm not I, you know obviously that we're here to to talk about your book we're here to to kind of promote it you know very very kindly sponsored by you and your, your publishers bloomsbury um but I, i'm just interested to, to kind of know how you got into um kind of working a library really because that's you know, obviously very, very um, respected, I say, career choice. Obviously, you're a teacher now, and that's that's what you've chosen to do. But it's yeah. quite a niche um, It's quite a niche thing to get into as a young man, isn't it, really? Yeah, I suppose. Um, I've always sort of had that passion for books, as I said, but even when I, th I think I sort of defied the stereotype, really, because when I applied for the job, and even like when I asked about sort of feedback of my interview and things like that, a lot of the sort of candidates fit one demographic. And I think I really sort of stood out as being something different. And um, I sort of gained sort of a zest for sort of literature, thanks really to, to one of my teachers in, in sort of secondary school, who really awakened me to it because towards um, the end of primary and beginning of secondary, and I treat it really as that sort of crunch age now, I really fell out of love with reading, particularly fiction. Um, as a child, I grew up basically on non-fiction completely. Um, and then I got into fiction more in sort of junior age when stories were being read to me, things like Mr. Majeka and obviously then the Harry Potter series was huge during that period of the time as well. Um, but yeah, working sort of in a, in a library, I, I suppose like I was sort of, I, I knew I had to get a sort of a Saturday job and one did appear. And my, I think it was my mum who sort of highlighted that the role to me. And I think it just suited my sort of personality, my characteristics. I, I did want to work sort of with the public as well and understand sort of a retail facing job in that respect, but it wasn't sort of retail in the notion of shops and things like that. It was helping more from, a, like you said, a community focused aspect. So yeah, I suppose it was a blend of all those things really. And then that obviously led you to, um, I say, a career. Obviously, you're quite early on in in your career in terms of teaching. But how many how many years now have you been in the classroom? So I think I'm pretty much either in my eighth or ninth year, if I sort of work it out, either in terms of like academic years or sort of yeah, yeah, yeah. But um, but yeah, I've had sort of so much experience within those eight years, taken on sort of varying different roles as well, because. Head teachers have always commented and said, oh, normally like our sort of teachers are either strong in English or math, but like you seem to be strong in both because I've been a reading lead. I've been a math, math, uh, maths lead, um, but also sort of an ICT lead as well. So I do sort of have kind of lots of strengths and I do like to put them, put them into practice. So, yeah. And so now with, with the school you're at, I mean, you, you know, you don't have to mention any names or anything like that mm -hmm. at all, but in terms of, have you, have you had different schools? Have you, have you been at the same school for the kind of the duration of your career? Have you kind of chopped around? How's it? Yeah, going? I have sort of chopped around in a way. I've worked in sort of many different schools and, um, I've sort of built up experience, but I've, I've reading sort of always has remained my passion in, in all of them, right from sort of being a newly qualified teacher. There was always that sort of understanding of, how is Scott sort of 
um, getting his classes buzzed up about reading and that's followed me right the way through and then becoming a reading lead in, in the school was was amazing it opened me up to sort of the leadership element of reading and that's why I was keen to put sort of a section of that into the book as well because my book really isn't just a book purely for teachers either it's, it's a book for sort of educators right across the school whether you're in a sort of teaching capacity or a leadership capacity so yeah I really sort of in, incorporated many of my elements of my experience within the book. So you're not only a published published author now; you've also got your own class. So in terms of year groups at the moment, what what age are you teaching? So I sort of teach like mixed year five six classes. Um, wow. Yeah, that is brave. That is very brave. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. rare actually. That's really rare in the modern age, isn't it? I guess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, uh, but like I said, I've I've really tried to make my book grounded in that in that classroom experience. So and teachers have said to me really that that's what makes it sort of accessible for them is that it's that pick up practical to go and they can really take that bite-sized chunk of an idea and turn it into something bigger better in their classrooms then well let's let's I mean let's get into the book and, and yeah and, you know, kind of the main reasons to why we're here and talking about bite-sized because you know there are an incredible amount of of books and textbooks on kind of reading theory and, mm -hmm. and practices and um you know do this do that and and these are my ideas sort of thing but but this this book is is literally called 100 ideas for primary teachers um reading for pleasure it, it's out at the moment by uh, bloomsbury publishers and it the, the tagline is from the reader uh, from the reader teacher which is you and yeah. despite the fact that it's probably one of the only uh, education books that i've read that quotes the manic street preachers in the <laughs> it's um it's you know it's it's fantastic i mean i'm not what I'm not going to do is kind of, you know, read the whole book in terms of CBBS, but you know, I'm going to share kind of bits and pieces from it, obviously, so we can talk about it. And, and one of the main things that I really like is that it's split up into uh, eleven parts. Eleven yeah. parts. Yeah, yeah. eleven parts. I don't miss anything. Um, and I'm gonna, I'm just gonna quote those now. We're not, we're not gonna go through part by part like a chapter, but just so so people listen can get an idea of of how the book is structured. So we've got raising uh, reading children. Uh, we've got creating a reading classroom, uh, being a reading teacher, leaders are readers, setting up a reading school, which is a, a really big part of this book, I think, in terms of the, the amount of, of bits you've got in there. Yeah. Uh, understanding text types, cultivating a reading community, which is one that I like the most. I, I love that idea of of the whole school being invested in it as not just, you know, the, the pupils, but everyone. Um, love your libraries, which which makes sense in terms yeah. of what you said at the start of this show. Engaging with your reading environment, participating with parents and families, which again is is massive, and we'll kind of home in on that bit um, later on. And then working with writers and illustrators. So there is there is literally a hundred ideas in here, all numbered, uh, all in those parts. Um, it, you know, to, to to literally pick up and and run with those different ideas at any given time, really. Um, and I, and I guess really just to kind of kick off our discussion about the book, what, you know, you talked a little bit about the inspiration behind it in terms of you working in libraries and, and having, you know, clearly a, a love of, of reading and, and kind of translating that to our young people. But yeah. what was, what was the rationale, I guess, for kind of splitting up into literally, you know, a hundred, not, they're not lesson plans. I'm not going to do them disservice in that way, but you know, kind of a hundred, bite-sized ideas for kind of sharing this love of reading like what was what was the rationale behind that 
I suppose, like you said, is in terms of a lot of educational books or things like that that I've read before are quite dense. They're quite heavy. They're quite theoretical and literal. And I wanted to give something that was more sort of practically based um, and sort of not share my secrets per se. Some might call them that, but I have gathered such a wealth of knowledge, strategies, tips, ideas that, that can be used practically. And, and really, I wanted to share that really with other teachers because my passion really throughout my years of teaching has been learning and sharing from others. And I, and I do want to sort of give that back and, and help teachers who are out there looking for fresh ideas and approaches. And it's not just really about creating that reading for pleasure culture either. It's about if you've got it already in place, it's, it's about helping continue that as well. Um, and I think what's really also interesting is particularly the timing of the book, um, because there's been recent sort of um, statistics, really, that have revealed that reading for pleasure among children is currently at its lowest levels in 18 years, which I think is a really sort of troubling trend that's happening. Um, but one I think we can really co combat against with the right tools, the right approaches. And that's really where I hope my book can sort of play a pivotal part in it, because really the amount of reading that well, I always talk about, we live in sort, sort of a, such of a golden age of children's literature that there's so many authors, so many talented authors, diverse, inclusive books that are out there at the moment that really aren't getting a look in. If you think of the books on the supermarket shelves that you see or the books that um, lots of children read because they're either bought them or they know them or because their parents know them or adults know them and adults are often the gatekeepers of the books they have. And really it's about sort of helping teachers to build up that knowledge, those tips, those ideas that really they can just drop into lessons or try out or adapt and, and play about with themselves. And there'll be ideas in the book really that, that they've done already in their schools. There'll be some new ideas. There'll be some radical ideas, I like to call them, because I am a bit of a maverick in that respect as well, where I, I kind of like trying different ideas out and experimenting for myself. And, I, and some of the ideas in the book, I've certainly done that in my own classrooms and my school myself. So yeah, really, it's a combination of sort of sharing and, and promoting or a lot of the things that I've done in my own classrooms and taking them out almost as a ripple effect, really, because I've had the ripple effect in my school. Um, but I want to share that on a wider level across the country, but also the timing. I think the the timing of the book is quite sort of significant, really. I think you're right. I think, you know, we always try and steer clear a little bit of, of uh, political agendas, but, you know, with, with everything that's going on, which we, we will swing back a little bit to later on with, with you being a teacher in Wales, is is the idea that there are so many people out there at the moment that are, you know, I, I wouldn't say ultra critical, but there is there is a growing, growing underbelly, is that right, of people that are kind of saying, well, you know, you should do this as a teacher and you should do that. And, you know, there's been a lot of talk on our own podcasts and, and social media channels at, at Teachers Talk Radio about, you know, how how there are a lot of people out there that are very quick to uh, criticise and to suggest ideas, but, uh, you know, are, are kind of quite far removed from the... Um, you know, the classroom and the kind of education mm -hmm. sector in general, really. And I think if I'm honest, you know, with, with you and, and anyone listening here, I I don't tend to read, I say instruction manuals, because this book isn't an instruction manual, but no. there's, there's a lot of good ideas here. Um, I, I won't read anything unless it's someone who is currently teaching or is involved in a education setting, because yeah. unless you're you're living and breathing it, there's there's kind of not a lot of point. You know, I get those you know those people are useful in terms of teacher training and everything else but for a book of of this magnitude and, and what it brings to the classroom um you know the fact that you're still teaching incredibly a, a, a five and six mixed class and producing work like this is is quite phenomenal really and i guess yeah. when i was kind of looking through it 
um, you know, the teaching tips and, you know, the kind of the taking it further ideas that are in the book. I, I kind of was able to reflect on my own practice as a, as a reading teacher. So I, you know, I don't have a class at the moment, but I am obviously still in a school every single day. Yeah. Um, and I, I cover reading classes every now and again, but you know, when I was a, a class teacher consistently in, in key stage two, I, I never really felt confident with what I was doing in reading. I never really felt like, I felt like I was kind of trying to get the enthusiasm across, but I never really felt like the techniques that I was uh, giving were kind of having like the effect that I wanted them to, um, mm-hmm. particularly in year six where it's, well, I always found it very difficult. I know colleagues find it difficult as well to kind of keep that motivation and excitement and, and literally that reading for pleasure is your, your book kind of focuses on because yeah. you know year six is a lot about, right, here's this, it, you know, we spend all year doing these really amazing texts and then you get a, you know, a sats question about bees or the Victorian yeah. plague or something. And it, it just destroys, you know, kind of almost the things that you built up all the way yeah. through the previous sort of six, seven months doing. So, I mean, in in terms of, you know, the people you work with and the CPD that you run and, and everything else, do you have kind of teachers like me that are a little bit, not not unsure of what they're doing, but feel like they, they're, not, they're not getting across what they need to in terms of reading? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And definitely, I, I think even when you, if you read my book as well, I want you to sort of disagree with ideas. And and like you said, if the, you've read through it and it's made you reflect on your practice, then really that's sort of part of the mission really of me writing it was to make teachers think deeper or think creatively or think differently really about the ways that they put reading into uh, reading for pleasure into their classrooms or even just think, hmm, yeah, maybe there's just a snippet of an idea there that I'll take and I'll change it myself completely. But the way that I'll sort of incorporate into my classroom will be very much my own. But that's given me a sort of nugget or something just to to hook myself onto, really. It's almost given teachers that reassurance. And and I certainly needed that reassurance in the early stages of my career as well. Um, and there's, there's definitely, I think the whole, because the, the book belongs to the sort of popular 100 Ideas series of books um, published by Bloomsbury. And I think these books are very, very good in, in giving that the teachers that confidence, that reassurance, that that almost confirmation that what they're doing is right and to have the confidence to run with it as well. I mean, it's interesting you talk about inspiration and, and you know, sort of past teachers and an and early career as well, because, you know, in your acknowledgements, you mentioned some of the teachers that you've had. Um, yeah. You know, in, in terms of those people, you know, we've got Mrs. Davis, Mr. Kent, uh, yeah. Mrs. Carter Evans, that's a, a great Welsh name, that is, Carter Evans. <laughs> um, and it obviously, you know, to everyone else, these these people won't mean anything, but to you, they've clearly had a, a massive impact. Yeah. Um, and I, and I, I guess really that's, that's the key, isn't it? You know, in terms of reflecting on your own schooling experience, you clearly had people that, that kind of imparted their enthusiasm for reading. You obviously talked about you being from a, from a reading background, uh, working in the library as well. So, I mean, how how important is that kind of hand down love of literature for you know not just for you as a as a practitioner, but for any other teacher, but also really for you know this, this current generation where you said earlier it's it's books are almost kind of you know gate kept by adults and, and other people. Kind of how how important is that kind of traditional pass down of of reading and the love of reading for you? Completely. And um, what I would say as well is that 
even though I've had sort of all this sort of background of literature and a love of reading, thanks to my parents, um, not just having books at home, but taking me to libraries and things like that. I would also say that I can approach, and this is what I think helps me in the classroom as well, is that personally, I've fallen out with reading myself as well. So um, I think I can come at it sort of from both angles. But like you said, the, the teachers that I've had, Mrs. Davis, for instance, was my reception teacher. So even thinking of what am I now 30 so 26 20 uh, 25 26 years ago the the influence that somebody can have from that early age to set you on the path is phenomenal um and I think basically there's an idea in my book called um idea is number 38 when it's called reading role models and I think having reading role models in your life is huge um whether that be your parents your earliest role models um your teachers or somebody else, somebody from your community, um, another classmate even, um, if you're looking at it from sort of a pupil angle, or somebody you aspire to. And I comment on that in, in the, in the, in the book as well. Maybe that's a famous figure, or maybe it's just somebody you look up to, somebody that you know. And I think seeing them and the ways that they interact with reading can play a massive, massive part. Um, I can remember, for instances, my mum and dad both had very different outlooks on reading. Um, and my grandparents even further still, it's almost like a family tree of reading and it goes off in different directions. But even just the regular interactions with books, seeing books around the house, um, seeing a newspaper, my grandfather reading a newspaper. Um, even now when you see people reading on their phone, although it's a thing that maybe we sort of hasten and we criticize people for, it is reading. And that is sort of the first steps to showing children particularly that reading the influence on reading can be life-changing it's funny isn't it about that kind of the the physical element of reading and yeah i remember we had um i was i must have been second or third year teaching and we had this new uh teacher who was the reading leader it was it was great to be honest with you. she was she was really really good um and she was like right what we're going to do is we're going to make sure that we model reading and everyone's like okay so you know, guided reading or whatever. She's like, no, you're going to have sessions in the week where you you literally bring in your own book that's, you know, <laughs> appropriate yeah. for school or whatever, and you yeah. sit there and you, you model the reading to the children. And it was one of those things where you could see, like, come some of the older teachers kind of thinking this is just madness, like this is just another one of those bads. <laughs> but actually it's something that I've, you know, periodically, I guess, kind of dipped in and out of. I probably should have done it more often, really. But it, it was just an interesting idea in terms of them saying, well, you've got to model it. You've got to show them that you're interested. You've got to show them that you're actually making the time in your day to yeah. be able to to, to model and, and show children that actually it's, you know, it's a, it's a really important thing, really. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, 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 I just remember that, you know, that kind of CPD staff twilight session, whatever you want to call it, and everyone just be like, okay, so what, what, you know, people that didn't read were kind of scrabbling around for a book and all the rest of it. So, yeah, it's quite amusing, really. Um, yeah. So you've you've talked, you know, you talk very, very heavily, and, and it's very, very clear, not just in the acknowledgements, but throughout the book as well, the kind of the, the ethos that you're going for in terms of the inspiration of the book. But from a from a kind of a practical element of, of getting this book from, you know, literally your brain and, and your ideas to, you know, having, having a physical copy that I've got in my hands right now, what yeah. was the kind of, what was the process like in terms of you going, right, this is what I'm going to do. I've got this idea. Um, off we go. Like talk us through <laughs> that and start to finish if you can. Yeah, it can be sort of very overwhelming, I guess, sort of thinking how I've got this like filing cabinet of ideas in my head 
and I just want to put it all into a book, job done. No, it doesn't, doesn't quite like work like that. But the one thing that really attracted me sort of work to working with Bloomsbury and this 100 Ideas series was that I love structure. And this book gives me structure in leaps and bounds. The ideas are structured in the way they're sort of formatted, presented, um, the way the inclusion, because in the within the ideas, like you've talked about, there's 100 ideas in the book. But inside them, then again, there's this it should sort of be called a hundred plus ideas, I guess, because there's teaching tips, there's taking it further insights, and there's also sort of bonus ideas really to to take those ideas then to the next level or to further them really. Um and basically I sort of I like sort of compartmentalizing things. Um and the way I sort of compartmentalized this book was I developed sort of a, a roadmap, really, what I call my reading roadmap. And it sits really at the heart of my book. And as you've spoken about, it's really those five elements. It's a sort of five point framework, really, that serves as the foundation for all the ideas and provides a sort of thoughtful, intentional approach to implementing them. So it's sort of it's a it made up of concentric circles and it goes outwards, really, and then comes back in. And it starts on one side with the reading children, then up to reading teachers, reading leaders, reading schools and reading communities. But the arrows go up on the left hand side and then they sort of come back down on the right hand side back to the reading ch children. And I did think you reading, interrupt I think, you there, sorry. Did you physically yeah. draw that out when you were planning this? A little bit, yeah. I sort of had the idea for it. And then I it's, it was almost like that ripple effect, like throwing the stone in, in the in the pond and watching it go. And mm. um I wanted to think about how reading really is is in the hands of the children. That's how I like to see it. If it's not in the hands of the children, then really it's not going to grow for them or grow further out into schools. If it's sort of been something that's done purely by teachers or purely by leaders, it, it, it doesn't really work. It has to be sort of in the hearts and the, the minds of the children really to start with. And then it can be pushed out into the teachers, the leaders, into the schools, and then into the communities, and then sort of almost trickle back down because the effects of the reading community lends itself then to you reading schools and then back down into the reading children. It almost plays that cyclical part, really. So, yeah, I did almost sort of draw it out, not to the nice presented way that Bloomsbury have done it lovely so in the book, but, yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, it, you know, it, one of the things that since I, and I keep saying since I left the classroom, what I mean is I don't have a class of my own, so I obviously mm -hmm. have teacher responsibilities, but it's not you know, I, I don't have a class of, of 30 children that I am directly responsible day in, day out, like like you guys that are still teaching. And and one of the things that I've really thought about, you know, since I've had more of a kind of a whole school overview is actually, and it sounds really obvious, and, and to you, you probably roll your eyes at this, but when you're kind of, when you're in it, it it's difficult to reflect on what you're doing with reading. So, you know, you, you talk a lot about, you know, there's a section about, um, let me just find it quickly so I actually paraphrase it right. The part about having um, uh, reading as the community, where is it? Let's have a look. Engaging with your reading environment, that's it. And, and it really made me think about, you know, the last class I had, I worked really hard to, to kind of push the books that we had. Yeah. You know, we, we, we had a new... Uh, reading lead in at the school I'm at now and, and she was actually on the show uh, a couple of weeks ago you know fantastic reading lead really good ideas great enthusiasm like you really um but actually like what is the reading environment about and is it you know are the children in the middle of that are they mm -hmm. dictating you know so I say right I need to go and get books am I just choosing those from a you know from a list of a of a popular website that I won't mention just yet or am <laughs> I am I literally 
uh, asking them, you know, how is that process? Yeah. And, and that section, you know, part, um, part nine, you know, stuff like door displays, front facing, making reading visible, reading places and spaces. And there's been so much talk about classroom environments, but actually what, what are you doing? Not you, but you know, generally in terms of teachers, what yeah. are you doing for, to, to create that reading environment, that love of reading? Are you putting children at the heart of that and saying, okay, what books do you like? Because it is, it's such a personal thing, isn't it? And I can, I can remember, you know, parents evenings and, and talking about reading and saying, look, you know, they need to be, the children need to be having a range of, of, you know, almost like a, a varied diet of reading, all the rest of it. And, you know, there's a lot of, of popular franchises out there that kids absolutely love, like my own children love as well. Yeah. And I, I look at the pleasure that they get from them. And I, I kind of shudder to think to myself, why did I, why did I tell parents and children to, to stop reading a certain genre book because they absolutely loved it? Like, why was I almost forcing them to go, right, you've got to go and read, not War and Peace, but, you know, something completely different. <laughs> Like, yeah. why was I doing that? That should have been coming from me as a reading teacher. Um, do you do you kind of find that, uh, you know, it it's natural to you to put children at the heart of, of reading processes or is it something that you have to stop and think about? Because obviously we've all got tastes. You know, I, I like to read, um, you know, nonfiction. I read a lot of history books. Yeah. I, you know, like you said about, you know, falling out with, with, with a, a genre of, of reading. Do you find that you're able to engage those children regularly in, in what they're reading and how they're reading? Or is it is it is it something that is almost kind of you have to stop and think about it? I suppose if you'd asked me this question years ago, I probably would have said yes. I, I probably do find it hard. But the more I've read children's literature, the more my sort of genres, formats, um, sort of exposure to, to just the whole range of children's literature has massively widened and increased myself. Um, and now, like, I would, I find myself reading books that probably years ago I might have sort of cast aside or um, not really given the time of day, whereas now, I, and I always have this sort of unwritten rule as well of, about giving a book, particularly a fiction book, um, sort of 80 to a, at least 100 pages for the plot to get going and to have patience with a book. And these are all skills and, and sort of attributes I've learned. And I, I really hope that through my sort of teaching practice and through the book as well, that I've sort of passed on these these skills really to children about sort of developing that patience, developing all those skills like empathy and consideration for characters and different genres and different writing styles. And that, yes, some will like, some will dislike. And as, as well, another point that I really want to make as well is it's not just about discussing sort of the preferences of what we like in classrooms either. It's, it is about considering what we don't like and the reasons why we don't like certain books and different genres or writing styles or um, sort of plots of books and themes of books and things like that as well. So, yeah, I, I suppose you could say that in my early sort of career, I, I would have found it maybe harder than I do now. Um, but But I think the more you read, the more sort of that sort of widening of the of the sort of pool of, of children's literature helps you sort of come around to the fact that that there is there is something out there for everybody and I firmly believe that I mean kind of building on that you know obviously it is a you know sponsored show about a book and I, I want to read a little bit of your book aloud if that's okay yeah Not to yeah, buy yeah. Have to buy it but it's you know I, I, idea number one is literally called children's choice yeah right? it's the very first on page two of the book that is the very first idea of of 100 
And the quote at the top says, everyone feels included when we choose our class book. It's so exciting to see who wins. Okay, that's the quote. And then you go on to say, as a child, do you remember teachers reading books to the class? Do you remember voting for that book choice? Your first answer will hopefully be yes, but your second will probably be no. But how transformational would it have been for you to have had the power to pick the class book? And that, you know, that for me, you know, almost sealed the deal with the book because actually it's... It, you know, we'll, we'll come back to the process in a minute so we can yeah. continue a bit more up. But it's very, very clear to me that all of this book is 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 kind of common practice to you and, and, and the setting that you're in currently and how, you know, giving ownership, not just to the teachers and the staff, but, you know, to the children and saying, okay, how are we going to read this? And the point you just made about encouraging children to say, I don't like this because is, is such a powerful thing. You know, it, realistically, we, you know, we're desperate to get opinions out of children anyway. But actually, when you're doing, you know, when you're creating a culture where it's okay to say, do you know what, this book is terrible because of X, Y, Z, and that's <laughs> my opinion, you know, or um, I, I don't like this book because the character is, you know, blah, blah, blah. It, it's, yeah. it's absolutely vital. And so having the children in, in right in the centre of that is, you know, permeates through this, this book that you've written. Um, I mean, when you you know when you were coming up with these ideas were they definitely all things that you did or were they things that you thought actually I really want to do this but I'm going to get it in the book and then try it did you um you know did you actually ask any of your class or or children in your setting about these ideas like did you did you kind of seek any other opinions on what you're putting in this book or was this kind of stuff that you just do as your kind of common practice so a lot of it is based on my common practice, no doubt, like what you've said, thinking about a hundred ideas and trying to actually prove, put them into practice. I have pretty much, I think, tried almost pretty much all of them. Um, but like I said, in, in those acknowledgements, like a lot of my inspiration has definitely come from the children and, and putting them at the center of it. And I think pretty much like if I look back through the book, I'm, I'm struggling to think of one that, that I haven't at least tried maybe not like some of the ideas I've tried really wide scale on a sort of whole school level. Um, others I've tried very sort of classroom based level. Um, some I've tried individually with children. Um, others I've tried sort of maybe a bit off the cuff. Um, so they haven't been sort of in their fully form as I've put here or sort of in their extended form with their taking it further ideas or teaching tips but they have been sort of rooted in that practice. But yeah, like you've made me sort of reflect on my practice now and I've, I'm struggling to think of one that I haven't really had some sort of experience in. So yeah, they are, like I said, they are pretty much proven, practical and tried and tested as, as I do, as the Bloomsbury sort of do call them in the book. So yeah. Well, that's good. You know, that's what we want to do at Teach Talk Radio. We want everyone to reflect in it in a positive way and, and change. Yeah. And as I said earlier, you know, this book definitely made me reflect. Um, I mean, one of the things that I, one of the ideas I'm going to call, not things, I'm going to call them ideas because that's how it's listed in your book, <laughs> yeah. um, was number 56. And that was the reading assemblies. Yeah. And I actually, um, you know, I've, for obvious reasons, I've started doing a lot more assemblies. Um, and a couple of years ago, we, we had an issue where it's only a small thing, but you know, there was, there was children that weren't were forgetting their please and thank yous in, mm -hmm. in the dinner hall and yeah. you know, holding doors open and stuff like that. And I, 
rather than kind of stand up and go, right, everyone's being rude or whatever, you know, like that classic sort of 1970s um, <laughs> kind of <laughs> senior leader in a, in a primary school. I read them, um, I can't remember the author, but it's, it's a cracking book. It's called Please, Mr. Panda, and it's about a donut. Oh, yeah, Steve Anthony, yeah. <laughs> yeah, right, and it's, it's really matter-of-fact, right? Yeah, it's also yeah. very visual. And I was like, I'm just going to read this. And it, it I mean, I'm not going to blow my own trumpet, but it, it actually worked. Like yeah. it was probably one of the better assemblies I've I'd done up until that point, because, you know, as you mentioned here, reading assemblies help everyone look at, listen to and love books in our school. And not only was it getting reading across, but it was also getting the message that I wanted across. Yeah. Um, and, and ever since then, like, you know, one of my all time favorite books for children is The Selfish Crocodile, because I love the artwork. Mm-hmm. Um, I did a project on it when I was I was training to teach, did a whole like story sack around it. But it's just a it's just a great book. And I yeah. always like to kind of to start the academic year and kind of end the academic year with that book as well as a kind of a consistency thing. Yeah. But those those reading assemblies, you know, in that in that section that you you've titled Setting Up a Reading School are absolutely vital because I think, you know, there's there's a tendency there with you know, with things like World Book Day, which have become, you know, almost a caricature of themselves these days with the whole <laughs> dressing up thing and the tokens and everything else. Again, I'm not I'm not dissing it, but it's just become a massive thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I say that now as a parent as well as a as, as yeah. well as an educator. Um, but you know, that that kind of idea about having reading representatives, the kind of the whole school reading spine. Uh, the whole school books, you know, reading mm-hmm. representation, all that sort of stuff, you know, book mapping, which is is so important. But again, it sounds like, like such an obvious thing, but there are so many schools that don't do it. Yeah. I mean, you know, in terms of of having these, have you have you given a copy or, or kind of shared copies with this with your, you know, with the staff in your setting? And have they kind of started to to act upon some of the things you put in this book or have you still yet to do that? Yeah, yeah. Um, what I'd love to do is is give a staff training day, but I'm not at that stage yet. But um, but yeah, definitely. And I sort of like a lot of the ideas sort of they, they'll be familiar with anyway, because like I've either drip fed them in or um, just like like with you, like when you said about reflecting on your practice, I don't really like say that, oh, this is this is idea number so and so. I think you should put this into practice. Um, but yeah, I think it's almost just like almost assisting them in their ways of, of different ways of thinking rather than just thinking sort of, um, like you said, here's the books. I've been told to put these into my classroom or um, I've been told to show reading in this way. It's almost just like, I don't know, just just like inspiring them in a in a bit of a different way, in, in just like making them think differently, making them think a bit more creatively. Um, and I, I almost just like sort of, seeing it seeing like the it's almost like a plant in a seed really <laughs> and seeing it grow and and i like seeing the ways that they take the ideas basically and run with them and and the ways that they adapt them because they come up with their own sort of ways of either incorporating them into their practice or making them better which ultimately really they always authors always say that once the book is published it's in the reader's hands and i i do hope that teachers do take them and and take them and, and use them in their own ways as well so yeah yeah, I mean, well, let's let's talk a little bit about that. I mean, I, I, I'm gonna I will share with you because um, I think you need to know because you've you've written the book. Kind of my my favourite parts of the book and and yeah. what I've, I've really enjoyed, you know, particular sections. Um, but in in terms of how you want or not want, but would would like and hope that that teachers in the primary sector use uh, your book, which is out now uh, in all available bookshops, I believe, and popular websites, uh, very popular <laughs> websites, in fact, uh, through Bloomsbury. Um, 
kind of how do you want or how do you hope people reading this book will will use it so really as it says really like people say don't judge a book by its cover but the cover pretty much speaks for itself with 100 ideas for primary teachers but in a way i hope really that the book's accessibility is an advantage in that it's not just useful for primary school teachers but and this is what people have commented on recently is the fact that other educators in school settings are using them things uh, people like teaching assistants school librarians and i also think that beyond just being sort of a guide for individuals for raising their own sort of levels of professional development um that it can sort of provide that um be a catalyst of sort of for providing that wider professional learning and using it as basis is for sort of things like whole school training days and and hoping that staff really rather than sort of treat reading in isolation as then and them all doing different things at different times and hoping that it has this effect is the fact that my book is almost like the overarching way of bringing staff together to collaborate explore discuss the ideas sort of assess which ones are suitable for their classes um their children this this the school as a as a general uh, and the school community as well and hoping to create then that shared vision together to promote reading for pleasure in a in a sort of bigger more community focused and and sort of um collaborative way i suppose and as i said like in the book i've i've spoken that teachers can use it really to sort of add to their reading lessons and reading curriculums um there are many ideas in there about different ideas as well th things to do with um looking at extracurricular activities to inspire children to read for pleasure um but i don't think as i've said the book's benefits stop there and i think school leaders um looking to promote a culture of reading in their schools can also find invaluable guidance in its pages it's not really just for one sort of role in the school um it is for more of a holistic approach to to promoting both reading inside and outside of the school as well so yeah I mean you know that that is a really good point and again it's it's you know you're not just here giving sound bites it, it is honestly for those people that haven't read the book or, or seen it yet that is a really clear message in this book and and particularly my you know my favorite parts of it i mean it's, it's obviously all good but you know certainly <laughs> the ones that really resonated with me are obviously the ones I've, I've already said but you know part seven cultivating a reading community there's the, you know idea 84 is the drives and donation schemes um and you know there's there's a bit about imagine children or imagine a child that's not doesn't have access to the books or whatever at home yeah and i i just didn't remember a couple of years ago uh my mum who, who who was a teacher and from an educating background who i actually interviewed on on this very show uh, a few months ago a few months back um she she was working as a as a family worker in a uh, for a local council and she said that there were you know pa parents and families come into this you know the kind of sessions that she was doing first of all they didn't have any books at home and secondly they didn't know how to share books when they were given yeah. the opportunity so she'd literally do a session on that um you know in terms of modeling what that looks like to to the parents and the children as well and idea 84 kind of taps home a little bit on that you know th this idea that you know but we know everything's expensive right you, you know you yeah. breathe and it costs you 10 pounds or whatever but actually you know getting books to schools is a really big deal um and when you're when you're looking at, at current school budgets at the moment you know books are expensive right they, yeah. they really are um and i know our our school has been very lucky we've, we've signed up with uh, magic breakfast who yeah kind of every so often drop a set of books for a class and, and all the rest of it and that's lovely but it only goes so far 
So having this idea of kind of drives and donations, as you say, on, on Idea 84 is fantastic because, as you as you just said, people reading this book, you don't have to be a teacher. You don't even have to be in the classroom. If you're picking this book up from, a, from an education background and you work in an education setting, the idea of setting up, you know, a, a kind of a, a book donation at school is is absolutely vital. And I think as well, one of the things that, that because it, you know, it's vital that, as you said, parents model what that behavior is like. So if they yeah. haven't got access to books or, or appropriate reading material themselves, you know, set up a book swap for parents in school. That's, that's, that's really, really key. So I think there are so many bits in here that, that people can use. And the other section that I thought was brilliant was the um, part 10, the participating with parents and families, because as we all know, people working in school, they're your, they're your main crowd, right? You get them on side. And you can you can do anything. It's a partnership. So I mean, looking at that section, you know, there's parent partners, parents evenings, uh, report on reading, and then reading workshops. Yeah. Um, in in terms of those reading workshops, um, and it's something that I'm going to be really selfish here, and I'm going to pick your brains about. You know, <laughs> what you know, it's it's idea ninety six, and you say reading workshops are a great way to grow as a reading school and community. How do you? how do you run those in your school? How have you run those previously? And what, what kind of things are you doing to promote that love of reading through these kind of workshops? So I think with running reading workshops is a good question, because I think most people think of sort of the, the sort of stereotypical way of running sort of any after school event really is, is after school. Um, it's cheers in the hall, listening to a teacher present. But no, it doesn't have to be like that at all. And I think Time is, is of the essence. You can run reading workshops where they sort of coincide with other events that already have sort of parental involvement in schools. So um, you could have sort of things going on when parents are in school for parents' evenings, for um, open doors, afternoons. Any way of getting parents into school can be linked to a reading workshop. Again, the reading workshops don't have to be, as I call them, didactic, where teachers are talking to parents just to stood at the front presenting. Um, they can be more sort of interactively based. Um, they can be sort of more sort of, I suppose, sharing rather than just introducing something or, um, like I said, presenting on something. And I do think that having that sort of relationship with, with parents, building this reading workshop it does sort of encourage parents to come in. It does help them educate them on what the school is doing with reading, but it also shows the the what the the sort of difficulties and challenges that parents have at home. And it's about sharing reading from both sides: what the school is doing and sending home, but what is happening at home and how that's sort of being impacted on in school, really. And I think sort of balancing those two things is is what really reading workshops helps with. Um, and like I said, really, is, is to help families feel more sort of familiar with understanding how children are learning to read in the classroom, but also what they're reading. Um, and I, I think that's a really good point as well, is the fact that sometimes we might be aware of what, what children are picking up in our classrooms to read, but then teachers might not be aware of what actually children are reading at home. And sometimes they can be reading less, as we often know, but sometimes they could be reading more and sometimes they can be reading authors and, and um, books that, that we know nothing about as teachers. And it's about having that mutual understanding and that mutual sort of, I suppose, building of, of understanding as well in terms of reading workshops. I mean, there is so much stuff out there, isn't there? And I, I sometimes wonder whether it's it's kind of 
with these workshops, it's best to kind of go, well, okay, this is how we teach reading at mm. XYZ school, or actually, you know, you're, you're getting, you know, who's your target audience for the reading workshops, I guess, you know, like yeah. are you getting those parents of, of, of children that just want to read all the time, you know, is it a kind of a shared experience, as you said, where you're saying, well, tell me what they're reading at home, like what, what you know, what's their bookshelf looking like? What yeah. do you need more of? What do you need less of? That kind of stuff. And also, like, are they not only enjoying it, but are they understanding what they're reading? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because, I mean, I'm, I'm lucky in the fact that my both my children are, are, I wouldn't say prolific readers, but they read every night. I suppose that is prolific, isn't it? Yeah, I yeah. I think about how much I read and, and how much they read, then I suppose mm-hmm. it would be prolific, really. But, you know, they're, they're into a lot of uh, kind of a range of books, really, which I think is a good thing. But, yeah. you know, at times they've kind of, they've brought a school book home and they've not really been enjoying it. And I, I just think, well, okay, we'll just put that aside and we'll read something different because it's, it's the enjoyment factor and it's like anything in education and, and, and classes. Children have got to enjoy what they're doing. Absolutely, um, yeah. So, I, you know, it's a really good point about that, that kind of the reading workshops and how, you know, it's probably not the best way to just stand there and dictate what's no. what's going on and, and, and kind of the reactions that you want, really. Um, I mean, in, in terms of this book, you know, it might be a tough question for you to answer, but what would you say was your kind of your favourite part or your favourite idea in terms of putting, you know, ideas down on paper? Like which which bit are you most kind of like, yeah, do you know what that is? That's my favourite part. That's my favourite idea that I will I will always go back to. If you have um, one. <laughs> yeah, it's very hard to pick just one. Um, I think in terms of, I think if if I had to sort of choose one as a whole, it would I think it would be sort of recognizing all reading, um, and as we've talked about, having that varied range of, of of a diet of books, but also considering not just sort of the wide sort of scope of reading in terms of fiction, nonfiction, poetry, picture books, graphic novels, but also things like alternative formats like um, sort of dyslexia friendly and super readable books, which is another idea I mentioned in the book, audio books, ebooks. Um, any ways of recognizing that reading happens as a whole. Um, that's one of them. And another one, I think, I suppose I, I would definitely as well put on that same sort of platform as well, is about having that representation of reading. I think I think I talk about um, to help um, children see themselves on the shelves. And I think one way of getting children to pick up a book is to help them see themselves on the shelves in the fact that, um, that we that teachers should be knowledgeable and have a deep understanding about different books that are out there um, in terms of, and, and considering really the diversity of people and places portrayed within them, um, the representation of ages, disabilities, genders, races, religions, um, sexual orientations, socioeconomic status, as we've already talked about, to help children realise that they can find themselves and their own place, their own heart, their own mind really in a book and and to make sure that that representation really is authentic and respectful towards them as well because if we do that really it becomes that integral part of our school and our integral part of of reading as a whole rather than just honoring it maybe as a tokenistic gesture which i know that 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 doesn't is that just really ticks a box it, it doesn't really show the children that that we sort of accept everybody in terms of reading and that's what reading is all about really accepting everybody whether they like reading they dislike reading and the whole spectrum completely throughout that that scope yeah i mean that's a stunning point isn't it you know children need to in the same way that you know films and 
other media they consume, they need to see themselves in the books and they need yeah. to kind of go, okay, well, you know, this, this character's got this particular problem or this particular obstacle to overcome or from the same background as me or whatever. So, yeah, I mean, I, that is a really good point. And I think, you know, I was thinking about it the other day in terms of, of what, you know, because most classes and, and most schools have a situation where they're called, uh, you know, after, after a name of a certain author, for example. Mm -hmm. And I think when you, when you look, when you analyse, um, you know, the, the gender and ethnic uh, background of those authors, it's quite telling. And, I, yeah. you know, it, it's something that I think schools are really, really aware of now and should be aware of and should have always been aware of. But, you know, there is a developing narrative, which is a positive thing around the representation identity of, of who's writing these books and, and where they're coming from. So I, I think that's a really, really good point um before we kind of step away from the book a little bit and, and kind of loop back to you um yeah. in, in terms of what you do in, in life generally the the, the the bit i really liked as well was idea 63 about book club and it's yeah. it's funny because i laugh because i just associate book club with my mother-in-law who does it with wi <laughs> and there's always this mad panic where she's had like two or three weeks to read the book and she hasn't finished it or whatever and she's yeah. always stressing about the fact she hasn't read it or she didn't like it so i i actually really like the idea of the book club um and it, it it's really really simple but actually you know having having children that you know let's be realistic that there are going to be children in, in the class that don't like reading and don't mm. find it difficult and find it a struggle as as with maths or science or anything else in the curriculum but actually having like a targeted group of children that are like really want to be there and are really engaged in it and kind of reading through this book aloud i thought yeah. it, was a, it was a really really nice idea so yeah it's um there were some fantastic pieces in it honestly you've done a done a really really good job um on 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 kind of producing it and and certainly for me you know i i enjoyed reading it and it's it's given me a, a really good opportunity to reflect on my own kind of reading teaching historically and also kind of moving forward as well so um we're gonna we're gonna come back to the book in a little bit but um first just kind of wanted to talk a little bit about you again really scott if that's yeah. okay in terms of how you are able to uh fulfill all these roles you know you're uh um you know you've got family obviously you know from a from a very strong reading background uh, class teacher and you're now a published author so how yeah. do you how do you juggle all of those things with with kind of the rest of your life um you know what, what is your kind of life work balance like how are you able to to do all those things basically because you've got a lot on your plate yeah 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 um i suppose in terms of sort of juggling my work as an author with the book and sort of the rest of my life as you say um the book actually came quite naturally to me as i said like it's grounded in sort of real life practice and so really the words did come quite naturally. So in that respect, I really feel like the book is almost just sort of uh, a manifestation of, of really my sort of career so far. Um, but like, I do honestly think that work-life balance is essential. And I, I, in my early career, I put so much sort of pressure on myself as a teacher. Um, and I, I really feel like I probably was very, very close to burnout in my first year of teaching. Um, and that wasn't coming from the school. It wasn't coming from senior leadership. It was coming from me with the expectations of sort of teaching and things like that. So I've really sort of learned that when I got that far and that close to burnout, that I really needed to sort of, well, take my foot off the gas really in that respect, in the fact that I was very much sort of 
a perfectionist in that way. I was very, held myself very much, I, I held myself to high standards anyway, but even more so within the first year, I wanted everything to be how the teaching looked and how it appeared and how how it was this perfect lesson plan done and um, reflection on teaching, marking perfect. And it couldn't, I realized quite quickly that it couldn't be like that. And in a way, this is why I produced the book because this is how my mind works in the fact that I needed short, insightful, bite-sized pieces. And really that's how I sort of juggle my life really in the fact that I need to break things down um, into small parts, achievable parts. And that's what I hope the book is. It feels very much achievable for people to, to put into practice. Um, but also I feel like that it's about sort of finding things that, that make you feel good about yourself as well, whether that's in teaching um, although I soon learned that I, I had to find other things outside of teaching and that those things to me were about finding enjoyment and time for having my hobbies back. Um, writing was a hobby. Definitely. I would say writing was a hobby, although at times during the book, maybe it didn't feel quite the hobby that I, I wanted it to be. Um, particularly when I had deadlines approaching. Um, but yeah, I just feel like that I think it was almost a bit about sort of realizing almost what the image of teaching had become for me and that it was very close to to not be in the reality of, of, of what it was. So yeah, I really think that, that juggling things is good and I've managed to slightly juggle, but I had to sort of prioritize a lot of the other stuff as well as teaching and almost take my foot off it before it became too much. I mean, that, that is an interesting point about the, the image and the reality. And mm. I think, you know, li listening to you talk, you know, without sounding patronising in any way, um, yeah. you know, I've, I've been I've been teaching 15 years, <clears throat> 16 years. I always lose a year. I always have this time. <laughs> yeah. times I've asked how long I've been, you know, in education. Um, and it's, it's the only job I've ever had. Um, but, but my point, <laughs> rather than me rambling, what I'm going on to say is that my wife is a teacher as well. And I yeah. distinctly remember you know, because that's how we met in terms of, of teacher training. And we would spend, we would spend the whole of Sunday working. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And we would sit there at the dining room table and we'd, we'd mark sets of books and we'd do plan and all the rest of it. And then we'd still be working in the evenings. And I, well, I don't know what happened. I think maybe because we had kids or we just couldn't be bothered anymore. But <laughs> at one point we just went, this has got to stop. This is ridiculous. You know, it's yeah. absolutely ridiculous. And it wasn't, it wasn't even our schools putting that expectation. As you said earlier, it's like you put in the expectation on yourself. And at, mm -hmm. at some point it's going to go, if this is what I'm going to do, you know, for the rest of my work in life, which, you know, is hopefully what, what I do because I, I love what I do. And clearly you do as well. Yeah. You've got to stop, right? You've got to just go, no, that's, that's, you can, what is the point of working? A whole day of a weekend when you should be you know resting or binging on netflix or whatever it is that you, you do at the weekend right yeah. so um, yeah i mean it, it, it's crazy really and i guess you know what what people like you prove is that you can be an effective and i'm not going to use the, the offstead gradings like we used to, <laughs> no. you, know, you can be an effective and an efficient and you know whatever classroom teacher and produce um uh you know kind of literature that, that you've done in terms of this, you know, 100 ideas for, for a primary teacher's book, but, you know, not actually burn yourself out. And I, and I think it's, it's so important that, you know, that teachers 
potentially younger teachers or ECTs as they're called now listen to this understand that you've got to get that life work balance right you have to make sure that if you've got a passion it's brilliant and and you know doing the job is 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 great and it's it's a calling or whatever you want to call it some people do some people don't but actually having that balance between yes you can enjoy it but you can invest it in other ways as well and and that's obviously exactly what you've done Scott in terms of producing this you know this fantastic book um and I, I i guess really that the next question is how how have you found kind of being a published author you know have you got your own car parking space at school now do people bring you co- un, you know limitless coffee have you have you been given extra ppa like how does it work at your school <laughs> extra ppa that's the dream eh? um, I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> no i haven't been fanned with leaves and, and have a crown yet no um no i really i just love seeing the book like to me uh, this I I went to an event at Hay Festival last year and I watched an author called Phil Hill and he spoke really about something called the happiness trap and it was always about I'll be happy if or I'll be happy when this happens and the, the, the chain can keep on going I'll be happy when I publish a book I'll be happy when it sells this many I'll be happy when I write another one and you're always just constantly chasing happiness and I realized then that actually maybe yeah actually maybe I was. And really, happiness to me is seeing the book in its finished form. And I know that might sound very sort of idyllic, that because many people don't get that sort of achievement of seeing a book in, in it the, with the name on the front cover. But for me, that that is sort of it. That is it surmised perfectly in, in the fact that I look at it and I get heart-eyed emojis. So yeah. <laughs> I mean, talking to those emojis, you know, you, you're very, very active on, on social media. I'm looking at your Twitter page now. Um, and for those people that have not yet <clears throat> tapped into Scott, um, it's at Mr. E primary and yeah. the M for Mr. is capital. Um, and the E, I think it's all on, on our social media as well, but it's, it's Mr. E primary. So he'll, he'll be on there and he's Thanks. the reading teacher. Um, he's got a blue tick as well. We won't, won't say any more about that, but <laughs> you know, he's got 32.3 thousand followers. Um, and I mean, you know, you're very, very active on here and, and I'm just scrolling through, obviously you've retweeted what we're doing today. So thank you very much for that. But no there's problem. a lot of love for, for what you've been able to, um, you know, produce in terms of this reading for pleasure book, which is out now, uh, by Bloomsbury, our sponsor of the show, you know, there's, there's a lot of, of, of good traffic, um, in terms of people giving you good reviews and, and talking about it. But, you know, the interesting thing about that is it's not just a kind of, um, you know, a self image. Uh, Twitter page it, it's kind mm-hmm. of you recommending um, reading you know literature yeah. to to other people to give uh, tips to other people and it's it's really really good to see that there's this kind of growing narrative this um, you know this this developing conversation around not niche books for children that's not the right word but as you said earlier you know the representation the different ideas um you know your kind of reviews of those and and it's it's really really positive yeah you you know based on the kind of success that you've had not just on social media because you can't judge someone with the success that they have uh, on that but in terms of the feedback and the kind of the way that the book is is doing so well at the moment do you have plans to to write more and produce more books or is is that it for you um i'd love 
to write and produce more books, definitely. Um, it's not my sort of uh, like ultimate goal, really, but it definitely is sort of a vision that I have. Um, I sort of in primary school, I did struggle really with the sort of writing and composition of writing. Um, it was always my bugbear of writing a story and me ending it with it, it was a dream. Um, that was my teacher's favorite last word. Uh, don't write this ending. <laughs> um, yeah. So to see a pub my published book first off is amazing, but I would absolutely love to write more. Um, and really, I just sort of love to share that passion. So um, the way that sort of I'm sort of putting that into practice now is by going and speaking about my book like on here um, or delivering sort of staff training sessions to teachers or keynotes to conferences and things like that. So, yeah, I'm just big now on sort of, um, I suppose, promoting the book, but promoting it sort of by by sharing that passion and sharing that advice. And I really hope that it sort of emanates really out of the pages and through, through me, really. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I think that's the point, you know, and anyone listen to this either kind of now or or on demand, this will be available on, you know, through our popping account and our, our website that we've got. But, you know, it, it's very evident that you've got, a, you know, huge passion for for not just reading, but for teaching as as well. And I guess, you know, from from your point of view, you know, really sort of pushing the book and, and kind of sharing it really, because, you know, mm -hmm. there's, there's a lot of people out there that will just write things. And as I said at the start of the show, kind of, not critique teaching but you know this this book doesn't do that it, it's very much like these are these are some great ideas that you can run with and and go from there yeah um, have, you, have you got kind of open channels for, for people to you know to feed back to you in terms of how things have gone with 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 maybe you know utilizing the ideas you've got in this book or is that still kind of in development at the moment yeah so basically what we've done together with bloomsbury is that at the end of each idea, there's um, like an individualized hashtag for each idea. Um, and I would love people to to use that, share that on social media with me and post pictures or ways that they've used the ideas, adapted them, changed them. Um, so we can really share successes and share different ways of implementation in schools and give them feedback on them um, and ways really that they've just enjoyed using them, I suppose. And and. I suppose, like spread that word. So they have a, a ripple effect and a community effect, really. So the book sort of goes beyond beyond the, the, the boundaries of the book, really. So, yeah. Well, that's good. I mean, I, you know, that having that conversation, that, that constructive conversation, because we all know social media can be a bit of a minefield, but mm -hmm. actually, you know, you, you having all these, uh, these many thousands of followers and also, as you said, having the hashtags at the bottom of the pages for each idea is is great you know it's, it's really really positive and, and developing that conversation in a kind of uh, constructive but supportive and, and ultimately achievable way is is brilliant yeah um, and i don't sort of just want to be the sort of like um like the one who gives all the, the font of all knowledge really i want teachers to, to speak to other teachers about the ideas and say oh have you tried this have you tried that not just me sort of it's my book it's my idea no no definitely not it's, it's everyone's ideas really so yeah yeah, I mean, you know, you say in your acknowledgements, you know, that there's to all the teachers, teaching assistants, librarians, office and support staff, caretakers, cleaners, cooks, parents, family, schools, authors, illustrators, poets, booksellers, bloggers, organisations, and everyone else aware with an educational capacity. You know, you, you clearly have a good team around you, and that's that's what you're encouraging um, with this book as well in terms of developing these reading teams across, the, you know, particularly the primary education sector because obviously this is this is geared for. Um, you know for for primary teachers that's the name of the series that, that yeah. we have at the moment 
Um, I mean, it, it, in terms of in terms of your wider community, you know, because obviously you're from Wales, you're teaching in Wales at the moment. You know, without without getting too political, and we, we can't really get away from it. What's the kind of the morale that you're sensing at the moment in terms of where teachers in Wales are at? Because I, I'd imagine looking at the news and, and what's going on, it's it's probably um, a little bit different to where maybe teachers in England are at the moment. So yeah. kind of give us a little bit of an insight into what it's like at the moment, kind of teaching in, in Wales. So obviously we've kind of on both sides of the, the border, I suppose we've, we've been in sort of consultation about the strikes and um, the effects of the strikes and obviously pay has, has taken up a major sort of um, place, I suppose, in, in the media and, and how it's the sort of focused highlight really of all, of all these discussions. Um, but in Wales, we have sort of come to an end, I suppose, with, with the acceptance of the latest pay offer from the Welsh Government. Um, and again, that's come after sort of repeated discussions. So it hasn't just been a first time offer and, and they've backed down. Um, but but what's welcome really in the fact that, that we've been grateful for really is the teachers that our pay increases is, is uh, fully funded. So, which is really welcome news. And, and it means we won't have to sort of divert funds from already stretched budgets. And Obviously, you know, as a teacher yourself, in schools are incredibly, incredibly stretched, and seeing the situation unfold in England is, is almost like the contrary, I suppose, to what's happening in Wales. Um, however, we can't really ignore the fact that in Wales, the, the resolution of the, the sort of pay dispute has left out an important group of people in in the fact that it's left out of teaching assistants, and mm. um, it's really sort of disappointing to see that their contributions really haven't been recognised in the same way as those of teachers. Um, unions are really campaigning against sort of this and and raising the the sort of fact that that they're not um, acknowledged like teachers have been. Um, and I really am fully behind the campaign for teaching assistants and support staff to 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 have the, the same sort of pay rise or at least a sort of significant pay rise to what they have because we all know as teachers ourselves that these the teaching assistants are members invaluable members of the school community and they help classrooms and schools run smoothly we, we wouldn't be in well we, we we'd be bereft without them really um so yeah i just think that although in wales we're fairly happy with what we've got um we have sort of left out members of our own teaching profession and i do really wish that sort of we come together more as a as a teaching profession in one union maybe together so we can galvanize and have that support together um and another thing i think that really as i've said about the the pay dispute really in the fact that it's sort of just been sort of broadcast by the media that it's all about pay when actually it's not and it's about sort of well recruitment but more importantly i think the critical issue of retention in our teaching profession and um we must remember that that governments can and should really do more to reduce workload as we've talked about in terms of marking books and administrative tasks and things like that, that really the, the ever increasing workload job uh, of the job really is, is the thing that pushes many teachers to their limits. And I, it's pushed me to my limit in the fact that my first year, I, I nearly had burnout. And I do really think that we should be preserving and prioritizing teachers wellbeing and job satisfaction. So although we're, we are generally happier in Wales, I suppose, at the moment in terms of things. There are still things and caveats of, of it to consider as well. So, yeah. I, th I think the key thing really is, it, you know, with, with not having done a huge amount of research on, on what's going on in Wales, obviously you get the headlines. But yeah. 
you know, I think the fact that there's been a sensible discussion mm-hmm. is, is probably the most stark contrast. Yeah. yeah again, these are just my, my personal opinions on, on what's happening here in England. Um, but the fact that it's, it's fully funded is, I say it's a blessing. It's, it's mm. one of those, isn't it? It should be par for the course, but we all yeah. know that's the case. And, you know, when I, when I did a kind of a rough imaginary budget in terms of, of running off whatever, you know, teachers in England were offered, but allegedly offered in inverted commas anyway, yeah. um, you know, the, the, the deficit was just absurd. It really yeah. was. And I think that's, that's the key thing from, from a school leadership point of view is that the minute the words fully funded come up, then that's, that's exactly what you need. So I, uh, you know, I, I can't disagree with, with anything you've said. I think you've, you've articulated that incredibly well. Um, I think, you, you know, spot on about the teaching assistants because, yeah, it's it's very very difficult to well, it's impossible to run a school without support assistance, mm-hmm. and they, you know they need to they need pay parity as well. So it's 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 good to hear in in some respects that things are moving you know well for you guys. Um, and and <laughs> will we get to that stage in England? I don't know. I'm not sure really. It's, yeah, it's I just I really hope because I've had I my first year in university was in England, so I do have some relationship with the English. Um, education system so I really do hope that the constructiveness of what's happened in Wales really does sort of um, is emulated really in, in England hmm. it's a difficult one isn't it and it's it's you know it's a very very um, a very topical point at the moment in terms of what's going to happen and how that's going to move forward um, but yeah. it's, it's good that in in some respects you know we've I say we but the, you know the governments have been able to kind of resolve that fairly swiftly and, and move forward and you know get get everyone back to doing what they want to do which is ultimately teach teach children and and, yeah. and improve but you know things have have got to be better as they have with junior doctors and everyone else so um yeah it's it's going to be uh tricky to to see how that one unfolds at the moment really um and uh, you know kind of away from from teaching and away from uh you know writing books what what yeah. kind of stuff do you do you know you talk you kind of said that your your life work balance was was good but what kind of hobbies have you got what kind of interests do you have kind of away from the classroom and and writing about books or writing books about the classroom rather (laughs) yeah yeah um obviously I love reading (laughs) um that's a huge one but then that's a very blurred boundary between when does it encompass work and when does it not um so to interrupt you there, what what are you reading at the moment? Like, what have you got a couple of books on the go? Because I I always imagine that authors literally just like, you know, devour books like takeaways. Like, is that is that true, or do you just have one at a time? Do you kind of mix it up? How do you do that? So I I can't read many books on the go because I will have as many plots as I'm reading swirling around in my head, the characters all intermixing, and it just being a complete nightmare. Um, and they'll probably affect my dreams as well, which which will definitely become a nightmare. Um, but I know I'm reading one children's book at the moment, um, which is called Vivi Conway and the Sword of Legend by Lizzie Huxley-Jones. It's not out until June, June the 1st, because I'm really lucky that I get advanced copies sent to me. Um, and it's a fantastic book purely because I have a sort of um, affliction with it because it has definitely um, it's linked to Welsh mythology. So it couldn't be more up my street. Um, but yeah, it's fantastic. I've pretty much only just started it in, in the sort of first 80 pages or so. So I'm waiting for the, like, the story to build and the characters to take shape. So really, really enjoying it. Um, but yeah, in terms of books as a whole, I do devour books. 
Um, as a child, and this is sort of what I was alluding to in, in the past, in sort of the early introduction of the conversation, is that I can read books exceptionally quickly. And I think I've sort of like self-diagnosed myself, but I think I was hyperlexic as a child because I can read an average sort of 300 page children's book in about three hours. I've got a reading rate of about 100 pages an hour. Um, so which lots of people think 100 oh. pages an hour yeah 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 what just when like I a guess. standard paperback yeah 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 so this is What's why like 100 um, pages I, an hour yeah 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 so bear in mind like a children's book i don't know it's roughly what 40 to fifty thousand words so if we're thinking of that divided by uh, 40,000 divided by 300 pages, that 133 words on a page-ish. Yeah, probably. So, sound, yeah. I don't know, it sounds about <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, go, go on. So, yeah, I can read 100 pages in, in a, about an hour if I'm, if I'm on a good reading rate and it's just, it's basically just taking it all in. And that obviously helps me with plowing through books, writing resources and things like that. So, yeah, like when I've said that to people before, they're like, what? But I literally, it's not even a case of skimming. It is, I absorb everything. And this is why I find it really, really hard as well to reread books. Because if I've reread something, I can sort of remember it very, very vividly as well. So yeah. Um, but yeah, so that's that's reading for you. But in addition to reading, um, I like going to the gym regularly. I feel like that is a massive sort of influence, particularly on my mental health, let alone my physical health. Um, and I recently really in the last sort of two, two or three years have loved getting back into playing golf. Um, I find the more I've got into golf, most people look at golf and think that's not a sport. It is. It's more than a sport. Um, it challenges me both sort of physically, but also mentally as well. And I also find it really rewarding now that I've got a coach and it's, it's almost like I've applied what children do in the classroom when they're learning to me on my golf swing. That's how I see it now. It's a very much a learning process that is as far and as, as wide, really as broad and as deep as I want to take it. Um, but I love sport. Sport's a major sort of passion of mine as well. I've always been into sport throughout my childhood. I've played tennis, football, um, sort of everything, really. Badminton, I've had a go at ev sort of most sports. Um, for being a fan, I do support Tottenham Hotspur. <laughs> um, although... That that's not been as enjoyable as, as as it has been in the past with their it's recent good, results. We've only got nine minutes left, isn't it? Because I'd have ended that earlier. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Um, and I have no idea where we're going to go as a football club soon, but yeah. Um, but I also have a local team, which is Newport County. Um, and that's ba they've basically seen their fair share of ups and downs as well. Most ups in sort of the FA Cup, they're known as the Giant Killers. Yeah. Um, but as they say, I think with, with sort of supporting sports in general, it's, it's the hope of victory that not only kills you, but keeps you coming back for more, uh, no matter how pitiless that, that might be. But true. yeah. Yeah, it's true. I mean, it's, it's a cracking part of the world as well, kind of Newport and the, the surrounding mm -hmm. area. It's, um, you know, it has its reputations, but, um, you know, I, I've, I've been to Newport a few times in terms of, yeah. of watching football, but also just, uh, you know, I one of my neighbours is 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 from there and and go down there regularly and obviously from from a Welsh background as well so yeah mm -hmm. cracking part of the world really um, oh, I love living in Wales I literally I wake up and I see greenery I see oh it's just and you can literally go anywhere in Wales north south east to west and and find 
something really to take your breath away. So I recommend everyone to come and visit it. I, I literally could be the poster boy for Visit Wales. So yeah. Well, this is it. Not only have we managed to promote your book, we've also promoted <laughs> Wales now. So Visit Wales, you know. It's, there you go. Um, Mark Drayford will be, will be loving you, I tell you. Yes. I'm delighted with what you're saying. Um, well, I mean, it, you know, it's, it, it's great to hear... Um, you know, all the things that you're doing away because you know, anyone who's kind of who's, who's younger or earlier into the profession will, will, will need to know, um, you know, without being that, that finger pointing older teacher, but you, know, <laughs> you have to get your life in order in terms of doing stuff that you want to do as, as well as, as teaching. And, you know, it's an interesting point you made about learning about the golf, because I always feel like the best teachers are the ones that are actively learning something yeah. or uh, 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 want to learn about other things and, and not just, you know, not just kind of go by the by and, and kind of mm -hmm. go, right, this is what I'm teaching, but kind of fully invest in it. And yeah. of course we've all got things that we, we prefer and enjoy, but actually kind of having that element of, of wanting to improve and wanting to, pick up skills is is absolutely vital because ultimately that's what we do as teachers yeah. right that's what we do every day in terms of of communicating with our children and, and things like that so yeah um we're coming to the end of the show scott so i want you to give this book one final plug from your point of view so i'm going to put you on the spot okay. if you could sum up and don't read the blurb i was i was really tempted to read the blurb. I was like, i'm not going to do that but if you could sum up this book and pitch it in one sentence, what would you say? Can I read Cressida Carl's quote instead? <laughs> yeah, do it. And honestly, if, if you've had feedback, do yeah. that instead. Yeah, that's absolutely fine, Scott. No problem at all. <laughs> well, I, I just think she sums it up perfectly, particularly coming from somebody who's a, been a children's laureate themselves and is so passionate about promoting reading. And she says, all children should be given the opportunity to read for pleasure. And this is an essential accessible guide for every teacher. So... I literally couldn't have summed it up better. And do you know what I'll do? Just to finish off the set, I'll read Andy Taylor's as well. Um, <laughs> if you don't know who Andy Taylor is, you, you might know him by his Twitter handle, which is uh, Mr. T's NQT's, who is actually coming up on a show uh, in the very near future, I believe, with uh, Mr. Tom Rogers. I think. I hope I've got that right. I'm, I'm hoping that's the case. I think he has anyway. Um, but it, he says, the ultimate book for raising the profile of reading in your school, Scott's ideas are innovative easy to implement and impactful um and that you know as we've said all the way through this sponsored show uh i would agree with that because it is literally you know one page uh, per ideas there's a hundred of them in this book all split up into different if different parts and sections and they are very very easy to well i say easy to implement you've got to have the tools and the manpower to do it as well but in terms of the theory behind them you know it's it's gonna it's gonna really improve how reading is viewed in, in your school and, and how things are going. So yeah, it's, it's, it was an absolute pleasure, um, you know, reading the book, Scott, you, you've done a fantastic job uh, putting this together. It's, it's clearly a labor of love, which we always love in, in teaching. Um, but you know, it, it really is a, a fantastic resource and, and I strongly recommend that everyone goes out and buys it. It is available now via bloomsbury.com. Uh, in their 100 Ideas series, but it's also wherever you'd find books. Is that fair to say, Scott? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah online, physical as well. Um, so go out, get it. Uh, I'm sure your school has got the money to be able to buy at least one copy. So <laughs> yeah, go and get it, go and read it, kind of completely revamp what you're doing with, with reading in your school. Um, Scott, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you today. I hope you've enjoyed the show and, and being part of it.
Oh, absolutely. And thank you too, Ben. Thank you so much for your support and your kind words as well. It's been an absolute pleasure to, to really hear the effects of the book from you as well. So making talking about reflecting on your own practice and taking some of the ideas, adapting them. Oh, that's, that's music to my ears. I think the only downside is that I received it right at the start of the holidays. So I haven't been able to share it with anyone yet, but you know, first day back next Monday, I'll be straight into the, to, to everyone and go, look, look at this book, start doing these and, and, and go from there. But yeah, it's been, it's been an absolute pleasure, Scott. Um, enjoy the rest of your well-earned holiday. Hope the book continues to do as well as it has done so far and that you get um, even more famous if that's possible. Is anyone more famous than Cresta Cow? I don't know. <laughs> maybe marcus rashford at the moment who knows yeah. i don't know maybe we'll get him to read it as well but um listen take care thank you so much scott and to all the listeners uh thank you so much for joining me on the tuesday twilight show with ben thomas it will be available uh through all of our kind of catalogs and, and websites and everything else if you've missed parts of it or uh you you know you want to listen back to it again or whatever but the book is out now 100 ideas for primary teachers reading for pleasure by scott evans uh, I've been Ben Thomas and you have been a fantastic audience. Enjoy the rest of your holidays and we will see you again in a couple of weeks. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.